Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Paul Reitzer, and we're going to explore AI tools for writing and design. And trust me, this is going to absolutely open you up to all sorts of new possibilities. If you have not been paying attention to AI or you see AI as a threat, we're going to go in deep today on some really practical, tactical things that you can do to embrace AI tools literally right now to make your marketing and your writing so, so much better. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Paul Reitzer. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Paul Reitzer. If you don't know who Paul is, he's a marketing AI expert. He's author of Marketing Artificial Intelligence. He founded the Marketing AI Institute and the Marketing AI Conference. He's also co-host of the Marketing AI Show, and his course is called Piloting AI for Marketers. I sense a theme here, Paul. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Staying on brand, aren't we, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's so good to be back with you been a while. Yeah, it's been a couple of years. I think it was about two years ago and a lot has changed. And today, Paul and I are going to explore AI tools that are going to help marketers better create images and write better and a whole lot more. Paul, I think one of the big questions that a lot of people have on their mind right now is why they should embrace AI. So many of them see AI as, as a threat. And I would love you to instead make the business case as to why AI 
is going to help marketers and why really they should embrace it? The two most obvious things to me are the efficiency with which you produce creative. So if you're a writer, if you're a designer, if you're a videographer, whatever it may be, whatever your medium is, you can produce the content more efficiently and then unlocking creative potential. You can be more creative as a professional. So it can, if you're a good writer, it can make you a great writer. If you're an average writer, it can make you a good writer. If you have no design capabilities like me, you can now create your own images. Like it just opens up new possibilities of efficiency and creativity. You know, I was chatting with a friend who is a copywriter that uh, back in the day, I used to be a professional copywriter. And what I said to him is imagine if you could 10X your output you could lower your fees, right? And you could gather more clients and you could ultimately make more money in volume. The other side of the equation is I do think that these AI tools that we're going to be talking about are going to improve communications and visuals everywhere. And it's going to kind of level up everything. And I use the analogy, did Photoshop kill art? Did Illustrator kill art? No, it didn't. Actually, it created a whole new frontier of artists, right? Who were instead of traditional painters, or traditional photographers, they were able to do things they could never possibly have dreamed of until these tools were invented. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. No, I agree 100%. The way I've explained it is AI is not going to replace anybody, but the professionals who adopt AI will replace the professionals who don't. So, you know, it's not the AI's fault that some people's skill sets will be obsoleted or their roles or career paths. It's the ones who just refuse to embrace that, yes, technology has evolved. There's new tool sets to now do things, whether it's like you explain with Photoshop. They're just new, smarter tools. These are just extremely powerful tools that put these capabilities into the hands of the average marketer or creative professional. And that's the difference. Like I still can't use Photoshop. It didn't make me a designer. A dolly does. Like I, I, I can now. So I think the big change in 2022 was the advancements in the generative AI that made AI accessible to the mass market of business professionals and marketers and creative professionals. Anybody can now use these. Well, and a couple other business advantages are they never sleep. Um, you don't have to wait for some person to have availability in their schedule for you to hire them, right? You can literally go for very low cost, generate copy, generate images that could be used literally moments later in all sorts of different capacities. And I kind of feel we're recording this literally like on one of the last days of 2022. And I would love you to talk a little bit about why all of a sudden right now things seem to be exploding. And talk to me a little bit about this concept that this is just the training ground. So the generative AI is the term that's caught on toward the end of 2022. It, it really started with Dolly 2 when it came out in the summer. So it was introduced in April, but it was readily available to, to the waitlist people in June and July of 22. That made it so that anyone that had access could experience AI in a, in a new way and create something. That magic moment, eight seconds after you gave it a prompt, you had six images that were more than you could imagine. That was a turning point. Then the real pivotal moment came when ChatGPT was introduced on November 30th. Within four days, more than a million people had accessed and tried ChatGPT. So now language generation was accessible to everyone. And those two things really shifted. Now there's a lot going on in other companies we'll talk about that are players in this, but those really shifted the accessibility of AI and the understanding of its power and its potential. Now, where it goes is the interesting part because 
ChatGPT and Dolly in some ways are really just training grounds for what comes next, ChatGPT in particular. They're, they come from OpenAI, which is an AI research lab, but ChatGPT is kind of a, a middle version before the next. So GPT-4, which you know may be out when people are listening to this later in 2023, we may already have GPT-4, but what's happening right now is all this user feedback, what's called reinforcement learning with human feedback. As you and I are writing things in chat GPT and be like, oh, that was awesome. I'm clicking the thumbs up or I'm continuing on. It's learning that it's doing things well or not. And they're able to adapt it and then infuse that learning into the next version. And that's the one that's going to change everything. This is just experimentation. What year did you found your AI business? So 2016, it started as a DBA, a blog, basically under my agency, PR 2020. And then in 2019, January, we split it off as its own LLC. So given the fact that you've been tracking this space since 2016, what do you think the importance of the moment that we're in right now is for the business world and the world in general? Yeah, so I started researching AI in 2011, trying to understand its application to marketing into my agency. We started writing about it in 2015, launched the site 2016. The way I explain it is like back in 2011, 2012, once or twice a year, something would happen in AI, not in marketing, because it wasn't really being talked about in marketing sales service business yet, but in the marketing or in the AI realm or the research realm and stuff. Once or twice a year, there was like a, a breakthrough worth talking about. Then like 2016, 17, 18, it was like once or twice a quarter, something major would happen like AlphaGo when DeepMind built out, built AlphaGo. That was a major moment in, in AI in 2016. Um, then in, in the last couple of years, it was like once or twice a quarter, you know, into it once, twice a month, something started happening in, in the last half of 2022. It was like two to three times a week. Something was happening. Some generative AI company was getting 100 million in funding. Somebody was releasing a new model. Somebody was releasing some major breakthrough in reasoning or whatever it is. And if you start to connect the dots, what you realize is now there's a bunch of really practical tools for marketers. Like we can go get these tools right now and play around with them. But it's what's happening behind the scenes where most people aren't watching in the research labs and like what's kind of coming next that you can look out in six to 12 months and start projecting the real disruption that is near. And that to me is why this moment is so unique is it's accessible to everyone so we can actually experience and understand it. And we are at a profound shift in what it's going to be capable of doing. Yeah. And marketers pay attention because I believe, as Paul mentioned earlier, that it's the marketers that embrace these tools are going to have a unique competitive edge and the ones that fight against it will not. So let's start with design. First of all, before we get into the actual tools and you hinted at Dolly, we'll get to Dolly in a little bit. Let's talk about some of the practical use cases that maybe people listening right now don't realize you can accomplish with these simple AI design tools. The simplest thing for me is think about anywhere where you use images today. Could be collateral, could be your blog posts, social media shares, ads, wherever you're using images. And maybe you're getting stock photography, maybe a license to some library, maybe you're using original photos, whatever it is. Moving forward, any text you create, AI can create an image to go with that text. And you can eventually train those images on your brand guidelines. Like we want this certain style, this certain theme of our images. But what's happening is as you're say writing a blog post, you can like Jasper as an example, as you're writing the post, you can hit generate image and it can actually generate an image relevant to that paragraph that you want the image related to. Wow. Or I can output my 20 social shares and say, create images for all these. 
So again, anywhere where images are living in your marketing today, you're going to be able to generate original images to fit prompts. And that could be the existing text or some other text you give it. Yeah. So obviously for this this show, social media marketing podcast, the obvious stuff is images that you might want to use on the various social platforms. Then of course you mentioned blog posts. I could see header images, right? Like when you have a big image at the top of the blog post and maybe you just Photoshop some words over the top of it. Stock images obviously could be huge, right? And I start to think about those of us that are presenters and like to use images. And we should state these are photorealistic images, right? It's whatever style you want. You can say 3D render, photorealistic, chalk drawing. You tell it what the output is. But yeah, 100%. I did my marketing AI conference keynote in August, and I built the entire first half of the deck with Dolly 2. And I didn't tell anybody I had done it yet. And then when I got to the middle part, it was like the unveiling, like, hey, here's the practical use. Every image you saw, and I showed a collage, was generated with one single prompt. I didn't even edit these things. So I built all these images in like 30 seconds. What about logo design and vector images, right? Because most of this stuff is bitmapped images that this stuff is creating, right? Yeah. So the vector images is, is an interesting realm. I'm not sure of any of them that are doing that at the moment. Again, by the time someone might listen to this episode, maybe they're probably going to be. That's like a next iteration where you can download a high-res version that you can actually edit. But images like logos, there was a company that was doing that before Dolly 2. So my guess is you're going to see major innovation there. So anything you need, like right now, they struggle with words, with characters. So if you wanted to do a logo of your company and you wanted the company name in it, it's not going to do that very well. It's going to jumble up the letters and things like that. But maybe it could do an icon that you could use next to your name, right? 100%. Yep. One of the things that a lot of people are probably thinking about is, okay, this is really fascinating. What about like copyright, rights management, trademark? And I know that this might be, a, it depends, but let's talk a little bit about like the use cases, at least with some of the tools that you've used. And we're going to get to all the tools in just a second, but generally speaking, what can we do with these images? Since we are marketers, we might want to use some of these and paid promotions and stuff like that. Are there any slippery slopes we need to be aware of? So in the near term, the simple answer is, the images are original images and assuming the vendor you're using again open ai's will stay on dolly too when it first came out they did not give you commercial rights to the images that quickly changed by like month three they changed it to where you now have commercial rights to use the images so you know clean it's it is not a scraped image it's not a, a stock photo you are it the, we could get into how this stuff works but it uses something called diffusion where it actually learns from a bunch of images on the internet and then it generates pixel level up original images. So it is, it's yours. And if you and I gave the same prompt to Dolly 2, we're gonna get a different image. So it, it may look similar, but it's not gonna be the same. Language is the same. It's not scraping content. If I give it prompts, they write me a blog post about 10 trends in social media for 2023, it's going to write it. If you run that through a plagiarism checker, it's going to pass it 99.9% .9 of the time. So the copyright on that, in theory, you, you could copyright it. So as an individual user, it's pretty straightforward. The complex part becomes we don't have precedent yet legally around the training data of where this original images and language comes from because it learns from the internet. So I could write a post right now that says 10 trends in social media for 2023 in the style of Michael Stelzner. And it could write it like you because it could go and learn how you write. Now, could you come at me and be like, dude, you just like <laughs> stole my voice. That's where the issues are going to come in because the image generation is trained on images of the internet, which is someone's original work and language 
in a similar way, but the language actually works by predicting the next word. It's not actually writing anything it's seen before per se. It's not, again, scraping or summarizing, but I, I don't know how far we want to get into how this stuff actually works. No, no. I mean, that's totally cool. And I think, you know, we had met when we were prepping for this show, we said, for sure, look at the terms of service of whatever tool you're using. But you also mentioned that you can upload some of your own stuff to train it. Talk a little bit about how that might result in something even more secure, if you will, towards your, you know, unlikely to create any kind of problems. Yeah. So if you're more, if you're a media company, a publishing company, a larger brand, and you have a team of writers, like one way to do it, like writer is, is one of the vendors that does this. You can train it on your style guidelines, your brand identity and style guidelines, your tone, your voice, the specific ways you say certain phrases. You could do it across multiple languages where you can you know, actually say like set guidelines about it. So you can set some parameters. And then in theory, not just with writer, but in others, you'll be able to say, hey, listen, here's my last hundred blog posts I've written. I would like you to learn how to write in my style. So it's not now just some general AI writing tool. It's a tool trained in the style of a specific writer or team or brand voice. So if it's not available right now, uh, accessible through you know, the affordable tools we can all go get, it's going to be like, if you're Chris Penn, we mutual friend, Chris Penn, Chris knows how to train that stuff. Like right now you need some coding ability to go in and actually build a model yourself, but that's going to all be kind of baked into these platforms and you're going to get our AI writing tool and you say, train it in this voice and away you go. Let's talk about some of these actual design tools. Let's start with Dolly spelled D-A-L-L hyphen E. What do we need to know about that? And then let's talk about some of the others as well, because you mentioned Dolly quite a few times. Yeah, so Dolly was the first one to really hit the market. Google has one called ImageGen, but it's not available yet. Dolly is, I think, 15 a month, $15 a month when I when I was using it. It gives you certain credits to how many you know images you can create. And I think you get the first 15 free. I haven't looked at their pricing in a while, but I think I paid $15 a month for Dolly. So you can have an AI image generation tool for $15 a month. Let's mention briefly the prompts, right? Like explain how that works because people might not understand that. Yep. So the key to generative AI is you give a prompt to the AI and it generates something. It's a very literal term. So prompting is just giving it a set of instructions of what do you want it to do? Write me a blog post, create an image in a 3D render style of this. It's telling it what to do. And you can be super descriptive, right? You can say with like a purple yeah. sky and palm trees. Can, I mean, yeah, you can go as deep as you want, or you can start off general and just like give it a very simple prompt and see what it does. And this, so right now there's a term called prompt engineering, and that is literally engineering the prompt. And so in design, this is where I feel like the, the artists, the designers who use AI have an advantage because they're able to explain what it is they want visually better than I, a non-designer can. Right. So they know styles, they know shapes, they know the things that they want to prompt the machine to generate. So they're likely going to get richer outputs from the machine than a non-designer or artist would. Now, when you go into language, I'm a writer by trade, you're a writer by trade. We probably have an ability to better prompt the machine with what it is we want the output of the writing to be. And so prompting is literally just saying, this is what I want you to do. Create 10 social media shares, create, you know, with 150 characters or a lot, like that's what a prompt is. Perfect. And we'll get into prompt tips and stuff a little bit later. So Dolly, Midjourney, let's talk about that. Midjourney is another one. I People have done some incredible stuff with Midjourney. I haven't personally used Midjourney, but I mean, it's mind bending. I've seen in like illustrations, video game designs, like 
just crazy stuff that I've seen done there. What's the difference between Dolly and Midjourney as far as like, do they output tiny little images or high res images or can you choose or how does that work exactly? It depends. Like the bigger the image, the more it's probably going to cost because the more compute power to do it and, and things like that. Midjourney seems like it has, you know, it's meant to design more expanded images and generations. Um, Stability AI is another major player. They just raised 101 million. Runway ML is actually one of my favorites to your question. Like, so it's just, I think it's runwayml.com is that one. But they have one called Infinite Image where I can create just like I would with Dolly. I go in and give it a prompt, like a, you know, a hilltop with stars above and it'll generate an image. And then I can actually drag a box and I can continue that image. Like now put an observatory overlooking the oh. and then I can like, and it can just keep going. Does it layer it on top of the existing image or? Yeah, seamlessly. It's friction. It's beautiful. Like it's, it's insane how it does it. Like the, the blades of grass continue on from the previous image. Like, so this would be really powerful for a true painter or artist who wants to, oh, yeah. who's familiar with maybe using Photoshop. And I wonder if it can output these layers independently. Do you know if that's... I don't know if it can, but I mean, it's creating each individual. It'd be fascinating if it could as a Photoshop file or something like that, right? Where you can move them around and stuff like that. And I pay $28 a month for Runway. And they have, they have images, videos, they're playing in text now. So you can generate all this stuff. They have a whole, it's called their AI magic tools suite but again 28 dollars a month like capabilities like i would never have because i have no design capability okay so we talked about dolly mid-journey stability and runway obviously they all have different they've been trained with different sets of art right so they have different styles is that why they're different or in theory it's the models and how they're built so like the language models OpenAI is the primary provider of language models today. So a lot of the AI writing tools you would buy, like a Jasper Writer, HyperWrite, they're built on top of OpenAI's API. So they're they're using that language model as the core of what they do. So similar, if you're using like a Jasper Art, I believe they're actually using the Open API for Dolly. Like they're actually just piping in Dolly's capabilities. So they're the, the companies that are just using kind of the platforms to build on. And then there are the companies like Runway that are building their own models. And so that that's the difference is some of them are actually building their own, like Cohere in the language space is building its own language model. So it's, as the end user, like I don't think most marketers are going to get into the weeds of like how this works. They're just gonna go get a Jasper or a writer or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. It's got AI art and AI language and they're never gonna care the model behind it. But the savvy designer who's like, let's say it's a design studio, they're going to go out and they're going to play with each of the models. And they may use Midjourney for one client and they may use Dolly for another. And that to me is the opportunity is like, take your domain expertise, and go figure out the way to infuse these tools. And maybe it's multiple tools into your business. Well, and I could see a day where Canva integrates with some of these services and then they have an infinite library of images, even Google. I could see Google doing this, right? Oh, yeah. They have to. But Tome is one I just came across that does slide decks. Mm. So you just give it a prompt, like build me a deck for a startup that's raising a million dollar seed round. And it'll actually start building it with language and images built into it. What was that called? How do you spell that again? T-O-M-E. Let me check and see what the URL is. It's on my list to test this week. Well, and while you're doing that, we should probably briefly talk about Descript as well, if you want to go ahead and explain what that is. So Descript is the one we use for audio and video. Again, I, I think that license is under $30 a month, or maybe it's like 16 per user per month. Super affordable for what it does. So they do things like clean up your audio. So if we take our audio from the recording, whether it's Zoom or streaming or whatever it is, you can upload the audio and it'll clean it up. It'll remove noise, remove, you know, kind of 
ums and ahs and all that stuff. It'll do transcriptions. It'll do it by, it'll do speaker recognition. So it knows who's speaking. You can train it on spellings and things like that. It has an, uh, a filler word remover. So it'll actually just click this and it'll go through the entire video and just remove all the filler words. You, you can do synthetic voice. So if like, let's say I forgot to say something on this podcast. So like, Michael, I really should have said this in that podcast. You could actually put this into Descript type in what I wanted to say and it'll synthesize my voice saying that thing. And it will sound just like you. <laughs> it'll sound just like me. That's scary. So yeah, it's <laughs> like wild stuff, but the script's crazy. Like if you do videos, podcasts, webinars, you just have to have it. Well, and audio too, right? Obviously you could just use it for your audio podcast as well. Folks, what I think is really exciting about this is these tools are going to make things possible that you might not have been able to do before. There are plenty of marketers listening right now who don't have access to designers, don't have access to writers. It's outside their budget. You're going to be able to use these tools to do stuff that you could never do before. And you might become, if you will, an AI artist, right? Which I think is kind of fascinating because there will eventually be demand because there will be people who figure out how to use AI art as source material and then layer in stuff on top of it on Photoshop to create things that frankly were impossible to create before. Did you figure out the name of it? Yeah, I got it. So it's Tome, T-O-M-E dot app. Okay, perfect. Let's talk about the writing stuff. We've hinted at it a lot. First of all, let's talk about some marketing use cases where these AI writing tools can really help take things to a higher level. Yeah, I mean, again, kind of like the images, anywhere you generate images is a possible use case. Anywhere you generate language is a possible use case. So think about yourself or your team, all the places where you write. It could be emails, blog posts, social media shares, ad copy, PowerPoints, whatever it is. Anywhere where you're telling a story or communicating, AI writing tools can be used to enhance that and I never talk about full automation of the copywriting. You want the human in the loop and we can dig into that, but gets you pretty far along when it comes to that. Um, most of the time it excels today at short form because it, it generally loses its ability to be original and not repeat itself once it gets to say 700 words or more. So you can't just put in, write me a novel about X and it just writes 50,000 words. That's not where we're at today. With let me give you some examples of uh, the ways that I've used it. I have a bunch of people, including yourself, who are speaking at Social Media Marketing World, and they submit headlines for their sessions. I go into ChatGPT and I ask it to create 10 variations of it. Okay. And then what I do is I use my own copywriting skills to pick the best variation and modify it slightly. So instantly I get them. We're creating an email. So what I'll do is I will paste in the email and I will ask it to create 10 subject lines. Then I will ask it to create 10 subject lines with emojis. Then I will ask it to create a shorter, more concise version of the email, which is a reminder email. And I'll say it's a reminder email, a follow-up email, so it'll modify it slightly, right? I have a friend who I spoke to last night who created a 70-page ebook that he's selling on Amazon. And what he did was he used the tool to, first of all, come up with the chapter headers for 10 chapters, and then he used it to come up with subsections. Then he used the tools to write the various sections of the subsections. And then what he was able to do was go in and edit the entire thing. And he had an ebook done in a couple of hours, a 70-page ebook, right? So you start thinking about these use cases, right? And just from a social marketing perspective, so many of uh, it can do really good, tight little prompts. And eventually you'll learn that it kind of uses certain words over and over again. And that's where you've got to get a little creative and just use it as a source of inspiration. But, you know, outlines, ebooks, some, oh, and it can also summarize information really well, which I think is worth talking about. So I, I put a 45 page transcript 
into one of these tools. And I said, write me a summary. And it wrote me a summary. <laughs> so, you know, it was okay. It was pretty good, you know, and you can also have it summarize by omitting certain things. You can say, write it in first person, write it in third person. So like you said, almost anything you can imagine, this thing can do. And generally speaking, I don't like to use it as out of the gate. I like to use it as inspiration. And then we go back and modify it. But man, the speed at which it operates, we're talking like seconds, right? It's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the summarization is a really interesting one. I think you're you're calling out a lot of very obvious use cases. Again, like the things you already do, but then you layered in things you wouldn't do. Like you probably wouldn't take the the headlines of 50 talks and come up with 10 variations of each. So you're actually enhancing your creativity because you understand what it's capable of doing. And that to me is the beauty of it. The summarization, another one I think you and I touched on when we were like prepping a little bit is summarization of videos. So like put a YouTube link in and it'll summarize the video. For really? You. The way it does that. I did not. Oh wow. yeah. Yeah. So you take the YouTube API, you get the transcript because YouTube automatically transcribes the video. So you take the transcription from the YouTube API, you pipe it into the OpenAI API through GPT-3 or whatever, use GPT or chat GPT, whatever it is, and summarize this link. And then it'll actually summarize the transcription. Now it has some limitations today. Like some I've seen are like, you know, anything beyond nine minutes, it won't do well because it's just too much text. Just to be clear, can you paste in the YouTube link into chat GPT and it'll do it for you? Chat GPT, I haven't tried it. It probably will. Huh. Fascinating. It would have to, no, because it's not connected to the internet, so it wouldn't. But OpenAI's Playground probably could, um, which is a, a backend tool. But like I saw a guy last night who just like created it over a weekend. Like he was just playing around and he just created a YouTube summarizer that does 10 bullet points of every video. You just grab the link, drop it in there, hit generate. And within 10 seconds, it had a 400 word summary of the nine minute video. Yeah. And we should probably talk about the fact that the tools that we're about to talk about chat GPT being really the, the big one that's, that's been, everybody's been talking about their knowledge base, I believe is right up until 2021. Does that sound about right? And yeah, the training data for chat GPT was end of 2021. So if you're a writer like Paul and I are, and you've got a bunch of content out there that you've written, you can um, essentially say, write about in, in my voice, right? In the voice of Michael Stelzner or Paul Ratzer. And um, it, it knows things. So for example, I, I gave it an example. I said, write me an email about a sale ending in 24 hours for social media marketing world. First of all, it knew what social media marketing world was. That's the first thing. Secondly, it knew what the value proposition of social media marketing world was. I didn't have to give it anything. But it also knew the proper model to write a sale ending soon email, right? And that's where the magic starts coming together with these tools. So you've talked about three tools throughout today, Jasper, writer.com and chat GPT. Let's talk a little bit about each one of those and kind of what makes each of them different. So, I mean, Jasper was the big name in toward, you know, the end of 2022, because they raised 125 million at a $1.5 billion valuation. So yeah, so was, that kind of was like a, a bit of an inflection point, I think, in the language generation space, because they've been pushing hard, they've had a lot of growth, but now they're, I mean, their growth is astronomical, how, how quickly they've grown their user base. Well, and who are they for? And what do they claim to be like, they're for marketers, aren't they? Yeah, it's a writing. Yeah. So I think they're, I mean, their pricing model is probably shifting, but I want to say I have their team license at $99 a user, which is like all the features I need. And it's got everything baked in a month, 99 a month. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think they have like a 20 some dollar a month option. So you can get in quick. 
Now that one has a bunch of templates. So the way a lot of these tools emerged, like HyperWrite and, and Jasper and Writer, they, they train a bunch of templates, like blog post template, ad copy template, Facebook ad copy template. And it's just like, there's like dozens of these things. I mean, eight, when we wrote our book, the Marketing Artificial Intelligence book, they had like 70 templates already. And so I'm sure there's just like a hundred of them. So you go in and say, okay, I'm writing an Amazon ad or I'm writing a Facebook ad or I'm doing social shares for Twitter. And you just click on the thing and then you put in like, I want on this link, I want this description, this voice, whatever. So those are designed to be writing tools where you go in and you generate copy within these templates. Chat GPT, I don't know if forced is the right word, but it changed the dynamic of the market because what happens with Chat GPT, if you've used it, is it's stupid simple. I just go in and I put a prompt. I don't have to click around to anything. It's just a flashing cursor, really, right? Yeah, it's just like, I want a Twitter share. I want, you just tell what you want. I don't have to look around for templates. I don't have to go through all this searching. So it, within three weeks, all the major players in the AI writing tool space, the platforms, introduced a chat function within their platform. So now in Jasper or in Writer or in HyperWrite or any of the others, I can just go in and have a chat GPT style experience rather than clicking around to my templates. Where Writer differs is it was mainly initially built, my perception is more of like a Grammarly where you're able to go in and actually edit, but for teams. So I can go in and I can train, it's like, hey, I have 30 writers, I have 100 writers, whatever it is. And I can actually train it to edit within the style and voice and guidelines of my company. And you can have uniform editing capabilities across the team. And then they built in the writing capabilities on top of it. And they actually released, I want to say it was early December, they made the writing capabilities, like GPT style writing capabilities, baked into their lower price packages. Originally it was enterprise only, and they made the move. So it's theirs is kind of like almost like Grammarly meets Jasper kind of idea, I guess, is a way to think about it. So Chat GPT, as of this recording, is free. There doesn't seem to be too many limits on it. And it doesn't, unlike these other tools, which seem to limit the amount of input that you can put into it and they limit the amount of output and they're typically based on how much you generate from it, right? But ChatGPT is part of the bigger technological company, if you will, or entity that's powering all these tools to begin with, right? So do you recommend people start with ChatGPT right now because it's completely free and it's the same tech that's fueling all these other tools? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so for experimentation, like if, if you just want to see what this stuff does and start playing around with it, chat GPT is the starting point because to your point, it is free and it is the most advanced thing available. You can also go right to the source. So OpenAI has a, what's called OpenAI Playground and you can, it's a little bit more, you can customize it a little bit. You can adjust what's called the temperature, which is how creative the output is. So again, how in a very simple way, I'm not going to overcomplicate this, how a language generation tool works is it tries to predict the next word or sentence based on the prompt it's given. So if I wanna say, go and sit down in that chair, the probability that chair is the next word is probably the highest probability. Well, if I adjust the temperature, it makes it more creative. So it may output, go sit on the floor or on a llama or like whatever it is. So the, the engineers, the people kind of behind the scenes playing with these models can adjust these settings, and there's like three basic settings that, that determine the probability of the output being what you think it would be versus like extremely creative. 
And so in Jasper and those like the user design tools, you don't have those. Like I can't go into Jasper and adjust the temperature and play around and see what it does. But if I want to see it, if you're if you're someone who actually wants to understand how it works, then go get OpenAI's Playground or Cohere is another one. And you can actually learn how the language models are doing what they do. What does GPT stand for? Generative something transformer. My understanding is there's two different algorithms at play here, right? Like there's an algorithm that generates options and there's another one that picks the best option. Is that correct? Two different AIs that are kind of like working together to be able to output something that's really great. Or is that just not a correct? It depends on the setting and which generative pre-trained transformer. Got it. So transformers were invented by Google in 2017, came out in this research paper, and that became the driver of the major advancements within language generation. So if you really want to understand this, I'll go back and read the original Google paper, because transformers is what enabled OpenAI and Stability AI to do what they're doing. They're the thing that powered this whole generative AI phase that we're seeing. What's cool about this whole chat interface is, for those that have been listening to the show for a very long time, we've had the founder of ManyChat on the show, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and we've had chat the traditional chat in the social platforms was very much based on tree structures, right? Like if someone types in this word, it was if this, then that, and you had to build all this stuff, right? And there was no natural language processing tools that were available, right? Which is, I think, part of the promise of this chat functionality is now all of a sudden I could see having a customer service entity input all the answers to all the most commonly asked questions right inside my company. And I could see this chat concept being real live customer service. And then when I start adding voice on top of it, I could see call centers that are powered by this kind of stuff as well. What's your thoughts on that? No doubt. And and, I mean, you can do it now. So like you could, for example, give it training data of all the best responses. So like you could go through all the call logs and say, these were great responses. And you could, in theory, train a system on that. What I've seen people doing now with customer support is like, okay, I'm going to respond to this upset customer. And rather than me just sending my email, I'm going to go into chat GPT first and say, okay, how should I address an unhappy customer who wants their money refunded? And put in a prompt and like, oh, that's actually a pretty good email. Let me use that one or like do a variation of it. So you can actually start to use it to inform the decisions that humans are making but in the not too distant future, I could definitely envision conversational agents or call centers where the predominant or the first response is actually coming from these agents. And again, it's not new in conversation. There's incredible companies like LivePerson used to be a client of ours way back in my agency days. Drift, like there's major players in the conversational agent space. And I think what they're going to be capable of building now is going to going to significantly improve on what they were building before. 2019, 2020. Now, ChatGPT or OpenAI, my understanding is Microsoft paid over a billion dollars for exclusive rights to be able to license this technology, right? So this is not going to be a free forever kind of thing, obviously, right? No, and there's no official number yet of what ChatGPT is costing OpenAI, but I've seen 3 million plus per day because basically each prompt you give costs them money to power the compute to enable that response. And it's, it's probably somewhere between a penny and 10 cents per, like we don't know. They'll get that cost down and, and they will monetize it, but they'll probably do like what they did with Dolly. So one, they're already making money because they charge for the API for these companies to build on it. So there's money revenue being generated. I think 
I think I heard they're like a $40 million a year company right now, like annual revenue, but their, their valuation is like 500x their revenue. So they're, they're making money, but their mission isn't to build marketing tools. Like, again, I don't want, I don't want to like take us down rabbit holes, but like OpenAI exists to build general intelligence. These tools are just a vehicle for them to get there. So to give the AI the ability to understand human language and generate it, to see the world and generate the world around it, like that's why they exist. So they're going to find ways to make money, whether it's through licensing with Microsoft or other people. And I would gladly pay, obviously, for for access to ChatGPT. Let's talk about prompts. We mentioned earlier that prompts are really important. Let's give some tips to people on how to create maybe better prompts, right? Because like you said, you could just go in and say, write me an email about a sale ending on Friday and we'll go ahead and do it, right? But what are some of the things that you recommend people that want to go a little deeper with their prompts might want to consider doing? More descriptive. I mean, obviously, and we kind of touched on that, but I think what I would do is like, let's say you had an example of, I want to you know, write this blog post or I want to write these social shares. I would test it yourself. Like I would go see, write me a tweet about this topic. See what it generates. Okay. Now write me a tweet about this topic that includes this, this phrase in it or includes these. Now write me a tweet about this. Like just keep building on it yourself. Yeah. And it learns, we should state with ChatGPT, as long as you keep that thread open, it'll remember all the stuff it just learned. Right? Yes. Yeah. To, to an extent until it gets to kind of its, its limits of what it's able to remember. But prompting right now, the, your ability to prompt is very important. It probably won't be as important in the not too distant future, because the next generation of these things are going to understand the intent of the prompts. What's going to happen is us, the average user, will put a prompt in. There will be a magical AI layer that improves your prompt, unbeknownst to you. That magically improved AI prompt is actually what then generates the output. So you may get an enhanced output by being not very good at prompting. (laughs) It's going to take average prompts and make them good to great. And you're not even going to know what's happening. That's just crazy. I mean, to think about that, because it also, I can also imagine my average emails being improved when I send them to my boss. <laughs> yeah. And that, you're seeing tools like that pop up. So what's happening is people have access to these APIs. They can conceive of these things like a YouTube summarizer or an email generator that learns from my emails. And they're building one-off apps. Many times it's just like for fun on weekends, not even building companies around them yet. They're just developing these tools to see what's possible. And then they'll like make it available as a Chrome extension or something. So the explosion of generative AI tools is going to be really hard to keep up with. A couple of tips that I've learned from having experimented pretty extensively with ChatGPT is, first of all, it has almost perfect grammar, but it tends to be somewhat repetitive and it also tends to be very structured. So what you can tell it to do is say in a casual tone. I found that if you add any casual tone to the end, it'll it'll actually generate a more easy, less computer sounding generated thing. You can also tell it to add emojis and also to add animated GIFs. Now it won't actually animate the GIF, but it will give you a prompt to be able to go over to Giphy to find the GIF. So for example, it'll say GIF of uh, a rotating clock. You know what I mean? And then you go into Giphy and you type in GIF of rotating clock and it'll tell you exactly where it recommends that you add it in there. I also think it's really cool that you can kind of use, for lack of better words, Boolean logic in it in a casual sense. Like you can say without mentioning this, if you seem to notice that it's that, like, for example, it seems to be overemphasizing the author or something that you're talking about, you can say without mentioning the name. XYZ, right? I also really love the idea of flipping between first and third person, right? So 
if you want it to be authored in your name, it might it might actually write it as if it's you. I'm excited to come to you today with an announcement versus write it in third person. It will flip that automatically. My guess is you could also put copy in there and say, write this in first person if it's written in third person. And these are the kind of things that normally you would have to communicate to a writer with to be able to get this stuff figured out. I've also found that you can you can get really nuanced with stuff. For example, write about a ball that happens to be blue that's flying through the air and is going to be caught by a person in the outfield with a glove on. You know what I mean? Like the more details you give it, the more it'll understand that you're talking about something that is happening in a baseball field. I don't know if you've discovered any other little tips. Yeah, the so simplifying is a nice one. Like write it as a, a seventh grade level. Like, there you go. Okay, now write it in this one. The other one that I th- I think most people don't realize is add strategy to it. Okay, now write this for small businesses in financial services. Ah, and it'll actually adapt it, and you'll be like, damn, like that's pretty good. Like, and so I I think challenge it to verticalize your content to like drill into specific personas. It's surprisingly good at strategy. Wow. Well, Paul, I can assure you that everyone listening and watching has their mind exploded as a result of this conversation (laughs) in a good way. So tell everybody where they can find you if you have a preferred social platform, mention your course that you've got working on, and then wherever else they can find you. Yeah. So marketinginstitute.com is the home base for all of this. We have our education. Piloting AI for Marketers is a kind of step-by-step learning journey, 17 courses we've developed. That's a great way to understand and apply AI. We have our Marketing AI Conference. We have an AI Writers Summit. So it's basically events and education and content, and it's all all living there. And then our marketing artificial intelligence book can be found there as well. Personally, I'm very active on Twitter, which is at Paul Ratzer, and LinkedIn. And definitely reach out. Tell me you heard this podcast. I love like connecting with listeners and finding out what was valuable and interesting to them. It helps me as you know. I, I think of myself as a storyteller. Like I'm just trying to help people understand this stuff. So if I know what resonates with people, it, it helps me help more people. So. Yeah, I love to connect and hear from people. Yeah, and folks that are listening, Rater is not spelled like it sound. It's R O E T Z E R. We both happen to have Z's in our last name, which is kind of cool. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your insights with us. We're way better because of it. Oh, I always love doing it, man. It's great to talk with you again. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 548. And if you're new to the show, you definitely want to follow us. We've got some great content coming your way. And by the way, if you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. We'll be back with you next week. I promise. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.